Hello, and welcome to the Warrior Airmen Podcast, a podcast that enriches the unity of the community within the 102nd Intelligence Wing. This is the place where airmen can foster relationships built on our unique experiences. I am your host, Technical Sergeant Mandy Givens, and today we have the pleasure of having Senior Master Sergeant Guy Gottschalk's company. Thank you for coming in today, Sergeant Gottschalk. Well, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. Um, I had the distinct pleasure of celebrating the Marines' birthday with you this past November 10th, and the conversation that was sparked in the, the room amongst yourself and former Marines really inspired me to have you come on today to talk about your former career as a Marine, or your career as a former Marine, Either and, <laughs> and um, your tr- transition into becoming an airman, and then now you're transitioning into retirement come this spring. So I think that members within the 102nd can really gain some uh, mentorship and some leadership advice from you. And um, the floor is all yours. Uh, please tell us about your uh, career as a former Marine. So my career as a Marine began, and, and it was the first story I think we told last week. Uh, I walked into a, a Navy recruiter's office in Jackson, Mississippi, and he was actually out to lunch. The Marine recruiter was kind enough to let me sit at his desk, so to speak, to wait for the Navy recruiter to come back. And about a year later, I was on Paris Island with my head shaved. He was a really good recruiter um, and convinced me that that's where I needed to be and I wanted to be. Uh, And truth be told, I wouldn't have it any other way now. I wouldn't change that for the world. Um, It was a fantastic uh, experience. rather. Uh, Paris Island is Paris Island. That's no fun whatsoever, but you tend to laugh and tell a lot of stories when it's uh, over. And then I, in the Marines, I worked on uh, F-4 Phantoms and F-18 Hornets as a crew chief. Uh, we called ourselves plane captains. I was also a jet engine mechanic. Um, traveled to Japan, traveled all over the world except to Europe. We, we did a lot of traveling out in the uh, Pacific and across the United States. It was a lot of fun. But in about four years, I decided it was time for me to go on to bigger and better things and make my fortune in life. Uh, And it had nothing to do with the Marines. It was, I honestly can say it was all positive um, for me. I had fantastic leaders, fantastic friends, some of whom I still communicate with today. Um, And I was, I was in my mind that I was finished with the military at that point. I got out, took a job in Mississippi, and then somebody mentioned the Air National Guard to me, and I said, well, that doesn't sound bad. Get some more training. I'll just do three more years. And so here I sat 37 years later, um, and I got to say, it's been like the blink of an eye right now. It's, it, you know, I can't understand where 37 years went. I've had so much fun, and I've, I've met and known so many wonderful people. So. Oh, wow. Um, I have to say one thing that resonated with me with your conversation, you know, that I was privy to with your, um, the other four Marines that were present, um, for the Marines birthday was the, you, you all both, or not both, sorry, there were more than just two, but all of you felt that your experience at, within the Marine Corps, uh, I don't know if it was basic or just the culture kind of brought all of you together. And it was something that, um, we had a, a former Marine in there. He, as young as, I don't want to give his age away, but <laughs> much younger than yourself and a few of the others. But he also had those same comments that something about the culture and and you you all were trying to narrow it down. Like, uh, what was it 
I think the Marines think? and their culture and what, what still draws us together, and we pointed out at the beginning of that ceremony that all over the world on November 10th, Marines gather, and as small a groups as ours are just one or two, all the way up to entire Marine bases gather to celebrate the Marine Corps birthday. Um, and part of the Marines' heritage is part of that, that brotherhood, sisterhood, as you would, if you would have it, um, is that they do a fantastic job of selling their history of, of here's the things the Marines have done. Here's where we sacrificed. Here's where, uh, you know, brave people went and did brave things and, you know, secured this nation's uh, freedom and, uh, and helped secure the actual, you know, our split from England back in the day. Um, and I think the, the counter to that was, is it was our, our view that the air force and even most of our, the sister services don't do that good a job of selling that, mm-hmm that heritage part of it. They try, um, and I pointed it out there, most people don't know, the 8th Air Force in World War II suffered more combat deaths than the entire Marine Corps did. That's an astounding number of, of, of casualties, and it's not sold, it's not brought up, and people aren't aware that you know the Air Force has done just as much as, as anyone else when it comes to, to uh, that that part of you know military service. Um, but the Marines do have the... the the ability to sell. They have the great PR, um, and I won't even mention the uniforms. But oh, no. <laughs> I think that kind of goes without mention. I, I don't think anyone would disagree uh, with you about the uniforms uh, being super sharp. But um, another thing, too, I'm not sure if it was yourself that mentioned it. It might have been um, another individual. But when you see Marines out and about or if you see someone wearing um, any kind of paraphernalia and Marine shirt, hat, it kind of draws them. You see people drawn into each other and then you'll see, in, you know, strangers, seemingly strangers spark up conversation. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah. I, I, then my 14 years of um, service with the air force, that's not always true with us airmen. Even if we're in the airport and we notice one another, there could be like, you know, a head nod or an acknowledgement, but I don't tend to see that kind of camaraderie or even, um, I don't even know how you would say that the instinct to go up to the other uh, service member and just, hey, where, where'd you serve? And, like, and you- I, I couldn't agree more. Um, through the course of my life, I've, I've been stopped and spoken to by people. I, I wear a ball cap with a little eagle globe and anchor on it most of the time. Um, and former Marines will stop and, and talk to me and ask, you know, when I served. Of course, some of them ask, if, you know, was I in the NAM? And I have to, you know, tell them I'm not quite that old yet. Um, <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, I've, I've actually at one point I was stopped and spoken to by a former commandant of the Marine Corps. He was a little old man and I would have never even guessed, but, uh, he stopped in an airport and spoke with me briefly. So, uh, yeah, it, there's something to it. And, and it might be one of the great intangibles that, you know, I don't know if anyone could ever put a finger on what drives that, where you, you know, that, that fellow, you know, he was 50 years post-service or so and, and still stopping and talking to a young guy and asking where I, where I'd been and who I'd served with. And, um, it, it's really nice. And it, it does happen occasionally in, with, uh, you know, in the Air Force and in the other services. But it, I, I do know it's much more common in the Marines, amongst Marines. It's funny because um, serving with a few former Marines, but also there's like some jokes, you know, the other services. We all have jokes amongst each other. And um, I feel like the Marines get some of the... Um, the more flack, you know, making fun of them and this, that, and the other. But the then, crayons, yes. I'm glad you said it. But, um, you know, silly jokes like that. But then at the end of the day, when I'm privy to these intimate um, ceremonies, well, not, I wouldn't say it's 
most intimate, but you're celebrating the Marine Corps birthday and you've served plenty of years in the Air Force, just like the other members. And that's still something that you have your heart and soul in. And um, I think that all the other services, as much flack as we give the Marine Corps, we can all learn from something like that. Yeah, um, my my peers, my coworkers definitely like to point out that I've done 33 years in the Air Guard, Air Force, and I did four years in the Marines. And you know, and I gave up the Marines for the for the Air Guard, and it's true. Uh, and I'll go back to you know the the Marines. I, I I look at it like the bedrock, right? It was the foundation of everything that followed. However, um, most of my career has been in the Air Guard and the Air Force, and and um, I've certainly had just as many, if a probably actually far more fantastic leaders and, and peers and mentors that have, have showed me uh, the way along. Cause you know, there's no way I'd be sitting here as a senior master sergeant if it were not for, you know, people who mentored me. Uh, and if I could give a shout out for, to one that's retiring today, uh, chief master sergeant Tom Nunley is definitely one of those guys that uh, did a lot to help me along. Yes. Uh, chief Nunley um, definitely want to acknowledge him I did not serve with him as long as you have, but he definitely has impacted my career as well. So now that you've mentioned it, you know, 33 years of service in the Air, Air Guard, that's a long time. But, um, you know, we talked about your foundation as a Marine, and um, this would be a good time to kind of talk about how your transition into the Air Guard. So it was it was a definitely a steep learning curve. Everything was different, the ranks, everything, literally everything was different about, you know, coming over from active duty Marines into a Mississippi Air National Guard unit at that point. Um, and it it was a steep learning curve, but it was something that was also easy to do at the same time. It was, they were much like this unit. Uh, at that point, we flew C-141s, uh, and it was just a fantastic bunch of people, uh, really easy to get along and work with. No, uh, Everyone was always happy and willing to take the time. Uh, and I had some, once again, fantastic NCOs. I, I came in as an old school buck sergeant, as we were known then. So I was a, an E4, uh, you know, NCO in, in the uh, Air Guard. And it was actually one of the prerequisites. I told my recruiter, I'm, I'm an NCO. I'm a non-commissioned officer in the Marines. I'm not giving up non-commissioned officer. And uh, so I came in as, as a E4 NCO, which they later did away with. Um, but it, it's always been about the the fan, once again, I just can't say it, I'll say it too much. I know the fantastic uh, leaders and, and mentors and peers, officers and uh, non-commissioned officers uh, around me that that's, you know, influenced me along the way of, believe it or not, I've needed course corrections just like everyone else has. You know, you can veer left or right. You can become stagnant. You can try to run too fast and, and having someone there who's willing to stop you and say, Hey, look, you're doing it wrong. You know, mm -hmm. slow down, speed up, you know, mm -hmm. get back on the right track. And, and those are the people that, you know, through the course of anyone's career, no matter what you're doing, those are the important people. Uh, and we're fortunate in, in the guard uh, in particular to have them all around us. Absolutely. And I think another important piece to that is um, that personal accountability piece and then being coachable. Um, we can have all the best mentors in the world and the best leadership. But if, if we take if we don't take that into account for ourselves and being receptive to it, then, you know, it's hard to kind of grow and it's hard to become that leader and mentor that you, um, you want to become right. based uh, on what you've experienced. Absolutely. It's, uh, I, I, I try to tell people when I'm, when I'm mentoring them, you know, the first place you should look when something goes wrong is in the mirror. Mm -hmm. Um, most of the time it's something, you know, you, if that, if you take accountability for and realize that, Hey, I did this wrong. Um, I, I tell them honestly, uh, 
anything, any career setbacks that I may or may not have had, I can directly attribute to myself, to me not doing what was needed, checking those boxes on time, not completing a senior NCO, you know, at the earliest possible opportunity. And, and, you know, it goes, you know, I've had, I've asked people, you know, are you putting in for this or that job? And they say, no, they won't select me. Well, have you finished NCOA? Well, no, I haven't. Well, you're right. They won't, you know, they won't select you. They can't select you. Uh, so it, it's all about making sure that you, you've done everything you can in your career. It should never be waiting on you. It should always be waiting on, on that next opportunity to, to do something. Well, I guess, you know, there's no questioning that you're a very determined, motivated person. And that's, um, I would imagine that's probably what made you a great candidate to be a Marine. And then you saw the opportunity to become an airman. Um, so early in your career, what, or I don't know if I want to say what, but who and what stood out to you as far as um, getting you on the right track? Was there a moment in time where you're like, I, I could see myself becoming a senior master sergeant? Like, what did that look like for you? I couldn't see myself becoming a senior master sergeant until Chief Nunley called me and told me they selected me <laughs> as the chief master sergeant. Um, no, as a, as a young Marine, I had a fantastic, I had a couple fantastic gunny sergeants, and and one Gunny Daniels uh, stands out in my mind as the guy. He, um, he was the guy who had the stories, much like I have the reputation for now, and he was the guy who led uh, by example and who who kept us on that right track. And I'll never forget him telling me one time uh, he didn't put me in for a meritorious promotion. And I, and I asked him why. And he said, well, sometimes your, your hair, you know, your hair isn't where it should be. And sometimes your boots need a little bit of shining and, you know, sometimes your uniform isn't where it should be. And I walked out and at first I was mad and then I walked past the mirror and I realized he was right. Mm. Um, and I went home and, and ever since then, people wonder why I keep my hair so short to this day. And that's Gunny Daniels, right? Cause it'll never come between me and something again. Right. Uh, and you know, fix those things. And then the next, uh, opportunity came along and he put me in and he called me into his office and he said, I had that same talk with four of your peers mm. and not one of them made the correction. They all said, Gunny's out to get me. Gunny is, you know, Gunny doesn't like me. Uh, you're the only one that changed. You're the only one. I said, well, you were right. You weren't making it up. And and that, once again, to me, uh, that's probably the one thing I would tell any young person or or not so young person is, you know, do that self-check. Do that, you know, look in that mirror and say, is this right? That's, you know, forthright and honest feedback is important. And it's, ne you know, almost never easy to take when it's negative towards you. But, most, you know, a lot of times if it's the right person, they're absolutely spot on. Absolutely. Um Feedback, um, how would you say, critical and non-critical type of feedback is important, especially if um, an individual wants to make the military career, because at some point, whether you want to or not, you're going to be leading airmen, and um, you, everybody wants to be that person that they can go to. Um, they want airmen to be able to, you know, to approach them, but also provide the adequate the adequate feedback, and a lot of that has to do with how you, um, how you behave and, and the leadership, um, I'm losing my words <laughs> and how you are behaving as a leader basically, and how airmen are able to see you and look up to you, whether or not they are able to look up to you. And that's so important. Um, how would, how, what's the little colloquialism there? It's, um, actions speak louder than words. Right. And, um, you can believe that you're doing the right things, but if you can't take that that feedback, and if you can't make adjustments, it's gonna it's gonna show. 
Right. Um, one of the things I try to do, and I, I t- definitely tell my peers and, and my superiors, um, and I try to make it known to the, to the people in my flight, my fantastic uh, team, is if I'm doing something wrong, tell me. Tell me now. Mm-hmm. Don't, you know, just be forthright and honest and, you know, give me that, that negative feedback because I promise you I'm never purposefully doing something mm-hmm. wrong. Yeah. If if I've drifted, it's because I didn't know that I drifted. If, you know, um, and that you know that's it's something I strive to do. Uh, I I try to do it with. We're in processing our very newest A1Cs, and I know they're sitting in my office as I have this talk, and they're saying, "There's no way I'm going to tell this guy." <laughs> you know, he's he's doing it wrong, right? Um, but but I'm I'm serious when I say it. Um, and by you know I, every now and then. Somebody will, you know, they'll say, hey, uh, uh, I've, I've had people come downstairs and say, you know, the other day upstairs, you know, you said something and it, and it, I, I didn't like it. it. It was, you know, it, it was, it hurt my feelings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I honestly apologize and tell them I did not mean to. It was mm-hmm. completely not, you know, how I intended it to come out. And if you perceived it that way, then I, I should have done it differently. Right. Um, yeah. So once again, it's the ability, you know, I'd like to think I'm pretty good at taking negative feedback. Lord knows I get enough of it, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm not perfect. And, and, and you know, people who think they are usually are the ones who need the most negative feedback, I guess would be the way to say that kindly. But, uh, no, uh, being able to to look back on, on your own experiences, and that's another thing I tell people is uh, I've stumbled about the face of the earth uh, for a number of years now, so I've experienced a lot personally, and the people around me have experienced a lot. Um, and I try to remember those things so that when someone comes to me with a, with a family issue or something like that, we can sit down and I can say, hey, look, I've experienced this exact same thing. I know what you're going through. Or, you know, one of your peers has, you know, you know, not identifying that person, but saying, one, you know, people in this very flight have gone through this and we can get through it. You know, we have a great team. We have the resiliency uh, uh, staff and people here that, you know, we have all these assets. Let's just use them and, and work through this. You know, um, that's one of the reasons that motivated me to have uh, conversations like this is to have leaders like yourself come on here and um, be vulnerable and have the dialogue saying, you know, we all go through, we're all human. A lot of things that run um, true to everybody, you know, family or otherwise, we can all relate. And um, being able to pull a senior master on the side and, and say, hey, you know, my relationship isn't going so great right now. And just knowing that you will have a listening ear and being receptive and understanding and then, hey, let's talk about that. But then how is this looking with the mission and what can we do? Is there something that we can do to, to make things um, a little bit easier, whether it's you know, reaching the resources that we have available or even just a little bit more mentoring and just checking in, checking in with people. I think that's like the easiest thing that we could all do for one another. And um, I definitely have seen a shift since I've come to the unit uh, December of 2016 I've definitely seen that shift with the resiliency team. I know our squadron in particular is on the forefront of that, but the wing as a whole, especially um, being vulnerable, seeing leadership and being vulnerable with airmen is uh, something that I'm glad to see here. Right. Um, as, as you said, you know, we, we are all vulnerable. We're all people. We all mm-hmm. have lives. Um, I personally have leaned on several members of that staff. And, and what I always tell people too is if something's going on, tell somebody, tell anybody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's something small, I've been TDY before with blizzards coming in and, and 
I will not name them, but people have gone to my house from this unit and, and shoveled my driveway out, shoveled my wife's mm -hmm. car out so she could leave and get out, right? Uh, with storms coming up the coast, I've had them go to my house and carry my lawn, my deck furniture down into the cellar for me while I was gone. It took one phone call. Oh. Uh, and literally one time while on the phone, I was on the speakerphone, and, and people in the office heard it, and they said, whoever I was talking to said, they're on their way now, right? That's just unbelievable right there. And I, I tell people I tell people to me this is a family. This this unit in the military in general, this unit in specific is another family to me. I've had other people say, yeah, maybe distant cousins, right? But uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I guess it depends on, on who you're talking about and who you're talking to. But, mm -hmm. yeah, um, there there's people here that I know I can utterly rely on at any time, you know, 24-7, 365. If I need them, I can call them. Uh, and I like to think that people feel that same way about me, that, that mm -hmm. if they need something, all they have to do is pick up the phone and let me know. So. Yeah, you know, I think that it's something unique uh, um, to service members. I, I can speak to that as far as my uh, active duty career. I still have friends that are all over the world, and we can pick up conversation like, like nothing's changed, you know, no time has passed, and we're very comfortable with each other. But I think that's given our unique circumstance and that that brotherhood and that sisterhood that, like we had talked about with Marines out in public, and they really recognize one another and they're drawn to each other just to kind of get that that um, maybe it's nostalgia, maybe it's just the idea of oh, I know this what this person has gone through, even at the uh, base level of their training, and that brings you just a little bit closer to one another. And that's something I talk about a lot in my um, work area, my work center, is our service and how that connects us and that, how that's a part of our legacy. And I know that no one is expected to be best friends, and um, like you had mentioned with the you know the cousins, but you know the. The, some of my closest relationships have stemmed from my service, and I don't think that's a coincidence at all. And I know that part of it is my age and when I've joined, but just having that level of um, trust and uh, respect for one another, I think that plays into the things that we're willing to do for one another when, when we need help. Right, and, and I couldn't agree more. It's, you know, going back to the beginning, and, and that was at a, you know, it was such a different time. I, I believe I told you the other day, uh, one of our members at one point uh, for a college uh, paper interviewed me as a part of living history, right? Um, and I, I got a laugh out of it. But one of the questions was what existed or what didn't exist then that exists mm -hmm. now, right? And the time at which I was a young person in the military was so very, very different than, than the world we live in now. Um, and communications is easily the most, you know, the, the biggest difference, right? Mm -hmm. So now everyone is, has a cell phone and, and there's social media and the internet and everything else. Well, back in the day, we couldn't check the Google to to, get, <laughs> to, to figure out what was going on somewhere, right? And we relied on each other and face-to-face and, and -face conversation and, and, uh, and we still accomplished the same things that, you know, people do today. Um, it, it's a marvel to me, and it, I'm always grateful that we have so many uh, great young people such as yourself who are willing to join up in a time of, of, you know, in a time of war. When I joined, we weren't at war. There was the Cold War, and honestly, I thought we'd tee off with the, uh, there used to be this thing called the Soviet Union. Anyway, oh, um, <laughs> I, I honestly believe we'd be teeing off with them any day, and, and thankfully that never happened. But uh, uh, People such as yourself joined during a time of war, during a time of conflict, and and that's lost, I think, on a, on a lot of uh, people today. Um, that you know, virtually, um, you know, I'd say virtually every person in the unit now we're getting swiftly that way. You know, has it has re I'll say that has either enlisted or re-enlisted during a time of conflict. 
knowing that there was that chance that they could be called on to to go somewhere at a moment's notice and and you know and take up arms for this country and and that's that speaks wonderfully for the character of the people we have here uh, both young and old because once again everyone's done it at least once well, thank you. And I, I agree with that uh, sentiment as well. I think it is a little lost on some of the younger folks that are joining. I think that, well, since you brought it up, I, I want to talk about this a little bit, but like the motivation for enlistment. And um, well, initially when you became a service member, what was your motivation for, for joining? Well, I was uh, a family. Yeah, my family was very, very blue collar. Uh, mom and dad worked hard, um, you know, while I was growing up and, you know, I, there really wasn't money there for college. Um, and actually, at that point, the military really wasn't the place you went to go to, to school. The Montgomery GI Bill didn't even exist then. That's how, <laughs> that's how long ago that was. Um, and to me, it was to go to learn a trade. And I knew that if I went into the service, actually, once again, I was thinking about the Navy. I was thinking about nuclear reactors on submarines or whatever. Um, but then that Marine recruiter convinced me that aviation and jets was what I wanted to learn because, you know, that was where the money was. Okay. So it didn't... <laughs> Didn't work out quite that way, but uh, yeah, so to me, it was to learn a trade and to serve. I, I mean, I came, I had uncles uh, that and that had served in World War II and in Korea, and I grew up around them and had heard the stories told about them, uh, and it was something that I knew that I wanted to be a part of, um, and so yeah, it was part of it was to serve, but in my mind, I never envisioned a career of it. I was To me, I was going, my dad had uh, been drafted in the mid-50s, had done his three years in the Army. Uh, and gotten out, and he still told stories about it, but he went on to do, a, you know, different things, and so that was uh, part of it, as it was something I knew I wanted to do, and it just, I, I guess I just never quit doing it. <laughs> it's, you know, I tell people, too, you know, uh, do what you uh, love and love what you do, and, and you commented on the one thing I'll say a lot is living the dream. People ask me, how, how how's it going, and I'll say, living the dream, uh, and honestly, I, I mean it. I haven't had, I've had very, very few bad days doing what I do. Well, I, can't, I don't think anyone could argue that given your, um, you're going into 37 years of service. That's an, quite the accomplishment. I don't, I personally don't know many people that have served maybe one other person, maybe. The one retiring today has more. But. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> Shout out to uh, Chief Nunley again. Um, there you go. Uh, that's, that's still such an accomplishment. I, I can't sitting here fathom that. And, um. So thank you for your service. You're welcome. But, Once again, to, to quote Chick-fil-A, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> I always appreciate your humor. Um, I'm going to go back into the motivation piece again, because I think it's so important. Cause I'm kind of leading into my own experience as well, but I, I really want to hear your perspective. You know, you talk about your family heritage, you know, heritage with your father serving and then just in, instinctively wanting to contribute. So you did take a break after the Marine Corps, and then what was that like whenever you were, um, when you heard of the Air National Guard or, like, thinking about joining? What what was behind that? So I was actually still on the uh, inactive reserve program. So I was still in. I had, a, I can't remember what color the ID cards were then. Uh, but, yeah, so I was out about three months. Um, and I was working for um, Beach Aerospace in Mississippi. I was looking at getting into a program called non-destructive testing, which is what I ended up doing for the next 13 years uh, in the Guard. Um, but 
I wanted more training in it. And somebody that worked there with me was a member of the National uh, Air Guard. And he said, hey, we do that out at the base. Go out and talk to the guys. And I went out and same thing. They were they were great people. And they, just, they you know, they showed me all their equipment and said, yeah, we can, you know, we can teach you how to do all of this. So once again, it was more at that point still about furthering my civilian career and, and furthering that path. Um, and when I joined, I really did think I'm joining up. I joined my initial guard enlistment was three years. And I'm like, I'll, I'll go to school with them. Mm -hmm. I'll repay that debt. Um, and then I'm going to go on with my civilian life. And like I said, the rest, I, I really love doing it. I, I realized that I needed that part back, that military part. And I didn't even realize it up till then that I'd actually missed it um, and missed putting on a uniform, even if, even if then it was, you know, one week in a month and doing my training and but at that point too the Persian Gulf War mm -hmm. also occurred and you know right after I got out the Corps my, my former squadron deployed on a very short notice uh downrange and it was also something I really wanted to do something right mm -hmm. and so my guard unit then we flew a lot of uh, support missions and and I worked a whole lot of uh, active duty days uh, between Desert Shield Desert Storm and then the follow-up um, so, and by then I was hooked bad, so <laughs> I, I wasn't going anywhere after that. So you say that was your first air contract. You knew that you were going to make the service a career. Oh, no, no, no. At, no? When I first signed it, I did not. But <laughs> okay. by the end of it, by the, I, end. by the end, yeah, I was pretty well hooked by then. Cause once again, we had done the, we had done the Gulf War and, 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 you know, I'd gotten a better, you know, I'd, I'd matured mm -hmm. once again. I remember when I joined, I was, I was 17 when I signed the papers for the Marines and actually, I went down and signed my, my enlistment papers uh, and took the oath in the recruiter's office on the day that the Marine barracks in Lebanon was bombed. Um, mm -hmm. And I'd already had that appointment. I walked in and the recruiter was like, well, you're here. And I was like, why wouldn't I be? He said, I had three people cancel already today. Oh, man. They did not realize they were joining the Marines, for crying out loud. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so that that initial uh uh, term, you know, it, it, in the in the guard, it, it was what hooked me in and said, you know, this is by the end of that three years. Once again, it was no doubt I reenlisted for six and then six and on down the line. So. Max, not those contracts yeah, there. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> it, believe it or don't, I've never gotten a penny of bonus money ever from any of the services. So wasn't any in the Marines, and mm -hmm. by the time. As my guard career went along, you know, it was always well, you've been in, you know, one point ten oh. years, so we don't give a bonus. Somebody's been in tears, and mm -hmm. and. Oh, that's just the way it is. They know. knew they had you hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's all about. Yeah, yeah. I was perfectly willing to do it for uh, you know other reasons at that point. So. Um, goodness, where did, where did it begin? There's so many questions. So, how did you end up in Massachusetts Air National Guard? <laughs> it's a short, long story, um, and I, <laughs> I won't I won't mention my uh, prior life in Mississippi to any point other than to say when 9-11 happened, uh, I was, I wanted to get back in, do something full time. My unit that I was with, although I loved it, we were transitioning out of C-141s and into C-17s. So there was like a 0% chance we were going to be activated as a part of, of the, you know, the efforts, right? Post 9-11, at least till we got our planes, which was looking at to be another year down the road. Um, and there was actually a news story on TV about this unit being activated. And I called the recruiter and the recruiter you know, said, Hey, I was like, Hey, what you got? And he says, you're an NDI. Yeah, I can use you. I'll give you a year of orders. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> it's a crazy world. I was coming here for one year and it's kind of like how I originally joined the guard for, you know, a three year stint. And I was like, I'll go up there. Mm -hmm. I needed some space from 
life issues that mm-hmm. were going on. And, uh, it, you know, I, I figured it'll do that and I can get in and I can serve. And then same thing. I came here and it was just such a wonderful group of people. And, uh, you know, let's take, uh, people like, uh, chief Jimmy gray, God rest his soul. You know, he took me under his wing and he, he made me feel like I'd been here forever. Uh, and so I did a couple years of noble legal orders, got a job as a technician. Then we were bracked and transitioned into Intel and, you know, the rest is history here. I said 20 years later, you know, and it, same thing. It looks like it's been a blink of an eye. Oh, and I married a Yankee woman, and so she kind of oh, helps keep me grounded up here. There you so. go. I was going <laughs> to ask a little bit. I'm like, how was that transition, you know, from um, native Mississippian and then having to come up and, and you know, live in New England? It's, that had to have been interesting. It, it's still interesting. It really, <laughs> That's it the really net, like, is, yeah. Um, the, you know, there's so many little differences in the food mm. and then of course mm. in the accents y'all still talk pretty funny um but <laughs> it you know so many little things like that and but there's so much that's that's the same too you know that you still have you know great people to be around and and you know uh of course there's different opinion you know differing opinions as well uh but it's it's just it's easy to be here i'd say that um you know having grown up and 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 lived in 90 plus degree weather my entire life. And even in the Marines, I was stationed in South Carolina. Um, and then to come up here and it's June and I haven't turned on the air conditioner yet. Right. And to, yeah. to that flip of, of weather. And I'm like, go down to visit family in June and July and, and just ask myself, how did I ever go outside when I was here? <laughs> it's oh my just, goodness. Yeah. yeah. It can get pretty uh, brutal, you know, weather wise down there. And I do love the climate up mm. here and, and it, it, it suits me pretty well. Well, you've got diverse weather that you've endured, and <laughs> let's talk about that diverse career again, because I'm thinking, or from just keeping track of our conversation, five MOS AFSCs, like how many, how many um, so jobs? So two in the Marines, no, not really that many, two in the Marines and two in the Air Guard, so four. Oh, okay, four. I don't know where I got that fifth one from, but um, that's something that I, I have to ask, is that like being flexible and wanting to retrain is that the motivation behind that is just to continue serving and just finding where you can serve and best be suited. Right. Well, so in the Marines, it was, we transitioned aircraft. We moved on from Vietnam era, uh, F4 Phantoms into what was then absolute cutting edge F18. So it was a, it's actually a fairly long school to go to, but Mm -hmm. to us, it was while we're getting these, you know, these aircraft there, mm-hmm. they had computers on them. But we had, the first full color computer screen I saw in my life was in our maintenance section where they had computers to help manage the data for these new airplanes. Um, and it, they were just unbelievable modern marvels at that time. And who didn't want to work on them? Right. Uh, and then, you know, transitioning from them into, uh, the air guard, going back to school. Once again, we, we covered that. Uh, and then when it came time, you know, and we got bracked and, and all of us who were here at that time, you know, it was like they were tearing our hearts out, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we just couldn't believe it was happening to us. It was, it was like losing a family member or having some, I can't describe it any other way. It was, it was uh, traumatic to say the least. Uh, and most of us took a little bit to embrace this idea that we were going to be an intelligence wing and that we were going to have to, you know, go away for, a, you know, it was I want to say six months, seven months at Goodfellow, yeah, eight months, long. maybe even by the time we were done. And then we came back and then we did multiple TDYs to Bama and to Reno and to all over the you know, world, literally learning our new jobs. Uh, but just like anything else, you know, given a little bit of time and adjustment, uh, you know, I, I came to, to truly love it. And I, 
and would you know uh, working in, in the old FMV uh, mission uh, with some of these guys and gals was just unbelievably fulfilling. Some of the things we did, um, you know, none of which I think I can talk about now, but <laughs> it was uh, mm -hmm. it really really was fantastic. And to, to work for for people like Colonel McNulty and, mm -hmm. and and to have those folks who who had that big picture mindset and to learn from them, uh, it was it was truly awesome i you know and honestly as i was getting older at that point it was much easier on my body not crawling around jets all day yeah i'd imagine it's funny um you you definitely wanted to highlight the people that you work with and i think that's um that's another motivation for having these conversations is to get to know each other a little bit better but i think that when i've talked to other people and when they reflected on their times like the best times they've had right. in the military it always comes down to the people that they served with and the people that they worked with and how um easy they were you know it wasn't coming to work you were showing up and you were performing but it didn't feel like work right and, and it's still true and you know I, I tell people you should never work at a place or a job anywhere whether it's military civilian whatever where you're dreading waking up every day you know you might know you have something important to do or something you don't really want to do that day at work and that's okay but you'll, you'll get through that but it should never be that grind of day after day going oh no I gotta go in again oh no I got and and truly truly you know through my through the course of my career, I don't I can't ever recall that. I know there were times knowing that we were leaving on a long deployment one day, like the the day leaving for a, a good fellow, knowing I was leaving my wife here and I was going to be gone all those months. You know, those are hard days and bad days. But you also know that's going to end and you're going to come back. And you know, yeah. uh, it it's it's always for me been something that I love. And and you know, just once again working Christmases and 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 Thanksgivings and being on the road for for some of those uh, holidays and missing birthdays it's not something you you like but it it tends to build that camaraderie because your your brothers and sisters are there with you and and they're missing the same holidays right. and uh missing you know the birthdays of, of children and and uh you know it, it you know losing parents and stuff like that having those those major life events go on and, and you're sharing it and it just makes it so much easier and, and better I can't imagine honestly what my life would be like if I didn't have you know how many 200 plus brothers and sisters here in this unit right it's yeah. it's it's incredible when you think about it and um from personal experience I I can speak to that as well just going through um loss and just having people that you didn't even think I don't know knew you and <laughs> come up to you and just you know very tactfully and um genuinely say hey you know i'm here if you, yeah if, if, you, if, if you need anything yeah i've had it through you know several times during my career just on a bad day right you know once again life events going on and somebody mm -hmm. catch me in the hallway and say hey are mm -hmm. you you okay yeah. you don't look yourself you haven't acted yourself you know mm -hmm. and just knowing that somebody noticed sometimes that makes all the difference and I've tried to, you know, once again, learn from that and say, you know, when I'm on a great day and I see somebody who it, it, it takes me you know, a little off, off guard when they're not themselves and to stop them and get them in a, in a quiet spot in the hallway and just say, hey, is everything OK? Are you good? Mm -hmm. You know, and, you know, 99 times out of 100, they're going to say, yeah, but you yeah. can kind of see that they that they appreciated the fact that somebody noticed. Yeah. And um, I'd like to think, too, that that probably helped that individual maybe take a step back and reground themselves, recenter themselves. Um, especially, you know, a lot of times we don't necessarily see how hard things are affecting us and um, physically and having that recognition and having someone like yourself who is brave enough, vulnerable enough to go and approach someone. Um, yeah, we can all learn to be a little bit more like that. Well, once again, I would never put 
me as as the prime example. Of well, your your thing. behavior, like the but, way that you you care so much. But yeah, I, and I do, and I, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it here on you know on being recorded, and they kind of look at me funny in the office when I say, you know, the older I get, the more I remind myself of like a '70s hippie. I just love everybody. I want everybody to be happy. I don't want. I don't like sadness around me. I don't. You know, and if I can fix it, if I can do something to make it better, I try to. Um, you know, once again, and you know. It's more, you know, I, I look at this unit and, 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 you know, the people I work with is more than those distant cousins by and large. You know, it's, uh, it's people I care about. And I know once again, and I know it's reciprocated. So. Absolutely. Um, so you've come to love serving and it's just in your blood naturally. Right. And, um, well, you can't contest 37 years of service. So with that in mind, you're now... And at a point in your career and in your life that you're going to be transitioning into becoming a retiree. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be honest with you that the last time I had anything that I could compare to this was when I was getting ready to leave for Paris Island. You know, mm. uh, I knew that it was going to be a major life change. I knew that it was something that I, you know, that was going to be so very, very different for me. Um, I was, wanting it and excited about it and at the same time dreading every minute that took me closer towards it right um and to me the the dread is you know what's what's it going to be like not to put on a uniform in the morning what's it going to be like to not come in and, mm. and and be a part of this and at the same time i know i'll always be a part of it right yeah. um and then you know so you know i've actually thought about working at the va doing things with vets doing stuff like that post-retirement to to maintain that and to you know uh hopefully you know, use some of this, uh, experience to help other people and to, to, to be with other people. Um, and you know, it, it's, you know, it, to me, it's, it's the end, but it's the beginning again. Right. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, that's all it is. So it's just the end of this part of my service and the beginning of the next part, I guess would be the way to, the best way I could say it. That's a really wonderful outlook. I don't think that, you know, one thing that I've noticed with our conversation is that you have such a positive outlook, no matter the circumstances and the, the challenges and the, the, um, diverse career that you've had a lot, you know, I wouldn't say a lot of people, I can't speak for a lot of people, but I know of people that chose not to continue serving because something didn't line up for them. But it seems to me that you just loved serving so much that you were willing to be as flexible, you know, go to the long schools or, um, transition from being a Southern Southerner to a New Englander. Um, there are people that won't I'm even still leave. A southerner. Oh, okay. I don't want to. <laughs> I, I might have overstepped there. I, I didn't I mean to, but um, there are people that won't even leave their hometown to this day, and I, I personally can't relate to that either. But I, I know they exist. Um, that's amazing to me. That just given who you are, you're so positive and you're flexible, but you're you're here to contribute, and you're you just have an open heart. And um, I really do appreciate you coming in today to talk about your career. Um, I wish you all the best of luck. And I know that you're going to do awesome things outside of here, whether it could be even, you know, come, I mean, you're going to have access. So you right. can always, you know, pop in for visits. And um, again, I just, I thank you for all, all of your service. Oh, I've, once again, it's been my absolute pleasure. And I'm, I'm so um, thankful for you to you for having me here. Um, you know, and, and give me a chance to talk. Anybody that knows me knows that I love to talk. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> as far as, you know, the, the, the positive attitude and everything, uh, you know, 
I'll tell people this year, we talk about resiliency and it's part of the whole airman concept and everything. But, uh, you know, I am a man of faith. Uh, and I, I, a lot of times I will, I do always rely heavily on, on my faith mm -hmm. and, and knowing that, you know, regardless of what's going on in my life, that it's part of a bigger plan and that God's going to take care of me and take care of all of us. And I don't hesitate to, you know, to say that I know that it's true. So, um, before we, um, end our conversation today, I just want to give you the opportunity. Is there anything that you want to um, impart on the airmen here within the one of second? Any wisdoms or <laughs> ad <laughs> knowledge, advice? Uh, I'll, I'll go back to the to what you know. I've said it. I think a couple of times. You know, always never hesitate to look in that mirror and and you know realize that you are the person that guides yourself and guides your career. Never hesitate to, to lean on the people around you to, to seek that advice. Uh, and above all, never assume that you're the only one who's going through a certain situation. It is so easy to, to be embarrassed by something and to, you know, to think, oh, no, this is something I have to deal with on my own. How am I going to get through this? And if you just take a second and realize that, you know, once again, the people around you have probably experienced it. If they haven't, they're still willing to help you and that we always there's always somebody there who will listen. You're never alone. That's the biggest thing I think I would say. Well said. <laughs> Thank you for contributing to the unity within the 102nd community. For those of you listening and wish to contribute to an episode of the Warrior Airman podcast, please reach out to me via Outlook email or my personal email at mandy.givens at yahoo.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Take care. Mm -hmm.